Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Last Sunday, we talked about why we bother showing up to church at all. The gist was because it's different here. It's as different in here as from out there as fresh air is from being underwater, which is why the apostles, the men sent out to tell the world about Jesus and his church, saw themselves as catching people, sort of like catching fish, bringing them out of the sea and into the boat. Except while fish tend not to like that very much, for people, it's in the boat, not underwater in the dark, that they actually belong. And that's where we are now, in the boat. Literally, you're sitting in the nave. Nave being the word for boat. It's from the same root as words like navy, naval, navigate. And we are here navigating somewhere. Liturgically speaking, we're navigating eastward toward heaven. That's what what this is. So the church is an ark. And for some, actually, maybe for a lot of us, just showing up, just being in the boat is a huge step. It's already efficacious. It's life-changing, just being here. I don't want to underrate how important just showing up is. But, and maybe you're expecting this next, that's not all that there is. The very next basic follow-up question is, once we're in the boat, once we're here, now what? Now what do we do? And at the risk of undermining my own homily, I'm going to give you the answer up front. Once you show up, what then? Well, you actively participate in what's going on. I know that sounds like a really obvious answer until you think about just how easy it is to actually passively participate, barely follow along, let your mind wander, just kind of sit through it. Not that even that isn't still better than not being here. It is. I really, I mean that. I meant what I said last week. Just being here is better. Um, There will still be some seepage into your soul of holiness, something like osmosis. But there's a much more fruitful way to experience being in the boat, a way that much more quickly and effectively transforms us from being fishy-like people with hard scales and poor eyes into human people. So what does active participation look like? What it does not mean is simply doing more stuff. Just because Bo and Father Michael and I are vested and do readings and swing censors, etc., does not mean we're more active participants in the liturgy than any of you can be. Active participation means full and conscious participation. Now, full simply means doing all the things you're supposed to be doing in your role. See, we all have roles, the lady, readers, subdeacons, deacons, priests, etc. And those roles require distinct actions sometimes. Um, We're not just an amorphous group of people that show up. I think last week I said that we gather together as the church. I shouldn't have used that word. I, I should have used the word assemble. We assemble. That's different than gathering. Um, Any group of people can just gather and be a group of people. But the church assembles because we are the body of Christ. 
After all, embodies have a structure. They have different members with different roles. So full participation means doing all the stuff your role is to do. Conscious means both knowing what all that stuff is and what it means and being mindful as you do it. So I guess that's three things. So you have to know what, for example, Kiri Eleison, Christe Eleison, Kiri Eleison is. What is it? It's a litany. It's a prayer. You have to know those words. You have to know what that is. But then you have to know what it means, too. We say it in the office, morning and evening prayer, but we also say it the threefold time in, in Mass. And you need to know, as you're chanting that, that it means, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and that it's addressed to the Trinity. So as we, as we say that, um, it means, Lord, being the Father, have mercy, Christ, or Christe, of course, being the Son, have mercy, and the last Lord, being the Holy Spirit, have mercy. And so when we do that, we also need to be conscious and present of mind when we sing or chant that, addressing in our hearts the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So active means full and conscious, full, doing all the stuff that is your role, and conscious, knowing what it is, knowing what it means, and being mindful as you do it. Now think of all those things that is in the role of the majority of us here. We have in the Mass and the office the responses and the dialogues. O Lord, hear our prayer, and let our cry come unto thee. We need to know the words, we need to know what we're saying, and we need to be mindful as we're saying it. Singing the canticles, the amens to the prayer, that is your assent, your approval, your let it be so, that you add to the prayers, the colics and other prayers. Don't say it unless you mean it. When we just mindlessly rattle off amen after a prayer, do you ever think back, what did I just say, amen? To, what was that prayer again? I do that. So be mindful. Uh, in the various rites of the church, we have things that we do. At baptism and chrismations, we gather around the, the new the neophyte, and we pray for them. We form processions on certain days. We carry candles. All these things have meaning. These are part of our roles. And then in the Mass itself, during the liturgy of the word. Again, there are the responses and the singing and the amens. Ah, but here we come to the part of the mass that sometimes it's really easy to put ourselves on autopilot, to sit back and just kind of let it roll on, maybe without feeling too actively engaged. And that is during the Eucharistic prayer itself. The priest has words and actions. The other ministers generally do too. But what about everybody? What about the lady? What do we do? Before the offering, the priest says, Pray, brethren, that this my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Father Almighty. And we respond, May the Lord receive the sacrifice of thy hands, the praise and glory of his name, both to our benefit and that of all his holy church. My sacrifice and yours? What's our sacrifice? What are we sacrificing and how? In our gospel passage today, Jesus mentions to his hearers, and this is in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that if they bring their sacrifice to the altar while at odds with someone, they need to go and be reconciled to them before making their offering. Now, he was talking about the old covenant sacrifices offered in the temple in Jerusalem, or at least that's what his contemporaries heard when he was speaking to them. But we read these words liturgically because we understand him to be talking to us as well. This is not only words recorded in a specific historical circumstance, it is, and it's important to understand and to know, 
But these words are now breathed into our lives as we speak them liturgically because they apply to us. So when Jesus says, don't offer your sacrifice if there's a problem with your brother, what is he talking about for us? What is our sacrifice? First, we need to know what the old sacrifices were before we can know what our sacrifice means. The old covenant sacrifices were for various things. Thanksgiving, cleanliness, purification, first fruits. They were brought to the temple by people, and then the priests the, from the descendants of Aaron uh, would offer them on the altar. And there was one sacrifice which only the high priest could make. This wasn't something that the people brought. This was on behalf of all the people. And it wasn't offered by just any priest. It was offered by the high priest. And not just on any altar within the Holy of Holies. And not just at any time. One time a year. This was a big deal. What was this sacrifice? This was the sacrifice for the sins of all the people. So this was only done in those certain circumstances. But it was repeated on a yearly basis. It had to be done over and over and over and over. But then Christ, the true high priest, not after the order of Aaron, but after Melchizedek, entered not the copy of the Holy of Holies in the temple, but the real Holy of Holies, heaven, and offered not the blood of bulls or sheep, but his own blood, and not to happen year by year, but once and for all. So he changed the covenant, and with it, all of the sacrifices. There's no longer a temple or a copy of the Holy of Holies or a sin offering for the people because Christ accomplished all of that. But what about the sacrifices of people outside the Holy of Holies? What about all those other ones? What happened to those? Well, just like he didn't abolish the high priest or the temple or the sacrifice for sin, but rather fulfilled them all in himself, he also didn't abolish the sacrifices of the people either. He changed them. In fact, he changed them to be what they were always eventually meant to be all along. Love and obedience, not dead animals. If you don't believe me that it was supposed to be this way all along, Hosea 6.6 6, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Psalm 51.16 and 17 for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Proverbs 21.3 Go do righteousness and justice, because that's more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Jeremiah 7.22 and 23 I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them. Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Ecclesiastes 5.1 To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. In Hebrews, Paul quotes Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. That's what our sacrifice is. In fact, that's what Christ's sacrifice was, too. Christ hasn't abolished the requirement that we make sacrifice. He's made it clear what that sacrifice should be. Now, in a broad and general sense, we can offer all of this sacrifice through prayer and devotion all the time, through love of others and good works. But what do we do here in this context? What's my sacrifice and yours that the priest means? 
When we offer bread and wine on the altar, as Jesus told us to, that offering is mingled with Christ's once-for-all offering of himself, and then it's given back to us as his body and blood, so that we can partake of it. See, sin offerings had to be eaten. So Christ offered himself for us, but then we have to consume, right? But that's Christ's offering. So what's ours? <laughs> ours is ourself. This is the key to active participation during this part of the Mass, to offer yourself on the altar. How does one do that, exactly? Well, first you have to know what a sacrifice is and how it works. See, sacrifice always involves the destruction of the thing offered, right? Uh, if it's an animal, the animal has to be killed. If it's um, incense, incense has to be burned. Whatever you're offering is destroyed. But when offering it to God, and this is, a, a, this is something that humanity knows in their bones. Pagans are offering sacrifices out in the, in the, in the wild uh, throughout history. They know what sacrifice means. You, you give something up, and it's destroyed, and it's received by whatever you're offering it to. But the, the Hebrew and the Christian God gives that sacrifice back. Pagan gods, animalistic gods, gods of nature, Greek gods, Roman gods... They accepted those sacrifices and didn't give anything back. Maybe they would, would spare the people from you know, a, a volcano in the minds of the offerers. I don't know. But the Hebrew and the Christian God, when he receives an offering, he gives it back to those who offer it. But he gives it back better, transformed, incomparably better. So Jesus' sacrifice was his entire self. He gave up his body, but what did he get in return? He got a glorified body. The destruction of the thing offered, returned, and glorified. And just as an aside, Jesus sacrificed, we talk about Jesus sacrificing himself to the Father. We need to be clear about what this means. This wasn't some gift to appease the Father. Okay, God didn't want to see his son die. This was a rescue mission. We went off the rails of our intended nature when we put ourselves before God. And the only way uh, to rescue us, to redeem us, was to redeem us, our nature, from the inside. It was our nature, our human nature, body and soul, that was wrecked. And in order to rescue that, it had to be fixed by reversing the way it was wrecked. Does that make sense? So we wrecked ourselves by putting ourselves before God. The only way to do that was for a human being to put God before himself. That was Christ. And he had to enter into the full experience of humanity, including death, and reverse all of that. He had to be born putting God first. He had to be a child putting God first. He had to be an adolescent putting God first. He had to be an adult putting God first. He had to enter into a vocation putting God first. He had to have relationships putting God first. And finally, he had to die putting God first. He had to be everything that it meant to be a human, but putting God first. Because none of us have been able to do that. Since Adam all the way to Christ, not one person was able to do that. Christ was the first one, and he rescued us by doing it that way. So, when he dies, that's, his, that's the, the summation, the conclusion, the end, the telos. It is accomplished of all of this project to rescue us. That's, that's how he saves us. And that is what we refer to when we say he sacrifices himself because he does all of this, including dying for us. 
So God isn't pleased that his son dies. He is pleased at the character of his son, the fact that his son loves us so much. That's what pleases God about Christ's sacrifice. Okay? So there's that. <laughs> um, so our sacrifice now, that's what Jesus' sacrifice is. Our sacrifice is an imitation of that. It's Christ is the model and we follow after him. So we sacrifice ourselves. Why does Christ want us to sacrifice ourselves? Because we're not perfect yet. When we give ourselves away as a sacrifice to God, we get ourselves back better, transformed. Yes, giving ourselves away involves a destruction of ourselves. But when we get it back, it's better selves that we get. So, how do we give ourselves away? Practically speaking, on the altar. How do we do this? So we're here. We're, we're celebrating the Mass. Father Michael is in the altar. He is in the Eucharistic prayer. How do we put ourselves on the altar, practically speaking? We take stock of ourselves before the offering. What sins are living in us? What fears and anxieties do we have? Did we bring in to church in our hearts? What particular joys or things that make us happy do we have in our hearts? What are we thankful for? Are we willing to give all of those things up, the sins and the joys, the sorrows and the bright spots? Are we willing to give those away to let go of our sin and, 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 and say, I don't need to have that in my life? Also, to be willing to let go of all the joys and say, you know what? They're gifts from you anyway. I give them back to you. Are we willing to give all of that away and if not, then we don't truly believe that whatever God gives us back will really be better. We will rather have those things make us up than be recreated by God. I get it. That can be a scary thing to be in a place where we're prepared to give ourselves away. And we can be scared about losing our identity altogether, perhaps. I mean, let's be honest, even the crappy things in our lives contribute to making us who we are. We don't really want to lose our identities. I mean, it's, it's us. But we don't have to worry about that. Because remember, sacrifice, though involving destruction, is not a complete loss. Only a radical transformation. We don't lose ourselves and get a different self back. We lose our broken selves and get our true selves back. There's a continuity. The bread and the wine of the Eucharist, they lose their mere breadness and wineness. But... They retain a bready and whiny taste and appearance, even though they've been transformed into Christ's body and blood. There's a continuity, right? Christ's body. He lost the body that could be crucified and truly die. That was destroyed. But what he got back was a glorified body in continuity with the old body. It still had the marks and the scars of the crucifixion, didn't it? But those have been transformed and glorified now. He's a spiritual body. He can appear in locked rooms and disguise himself to even close friends and acquaintances. But there's a continuity. So it is with us. When we give ourselves over as an offering and sacrifice on the altar, we get back ourselves, not something different, truly us, but remade and transformed in a Christ-likeness. So... The bread and the wine, Christ's body, our own identities, all destroyed and re-given, but with a continuity. 
Now this is the apex, the absolute height of active participation in the liturgy, to offer ourselves on the altar, receiving back our true selves in Christ as we receive his body and blood. Now we know that's what we're doing. That's our sacrifice. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours be acceptable. That's what we offer. Yes, we're all offering the bread and the wine, and yes, we receive that back as Christ's body and blood, but it's not just the Eucharistic gifts that we offer. We offer with them ourselves, our souls, and our bodies to be a reasonable and living sacrifice to God. So, the reason that's what we give God as a sacrifice is because that's the only thing we can give God. God has given us everything. And he can take any of it at any point. Our, uh, our, our, our cars, our jobs, our houses, our very lives. He can take any of that uh, because he gave them to us in the first place. There's one thing that God cannot take from us unless we freely give it. And that is our love, our obedience, and our wills. That's why it's the only acceptable sacrifice to God. He doesn't desire burnt offerings. They were his anyway. The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Why do I need yours? What I need is you to love me. It's this love that we offer God. That's what giving ourselves over to him means. It means we love and trust you. That's what Christ's sacrifice was. Full love, full obedience. That's what... Sacrifice, human sacrifice to God, that's what it is. And God returns it glorified and transformed. What's the thing we pray at the beginning of every single Mass? Collect for purity. I should have it memorized. Let me see if I can. Um, oh, give me a hint. How does it start? <laughs> Almighty God. <laughs> Unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. What's Colics are funny things. They have a lot of clauses in them. But there's always one central thing that is asked for. What is the thing that's asked for? We address God and we say that he can... He can uh, read all of our, our thoughts and he knows our minds. And we ask him to cleanse our hearts by the inspiration so that, why? What's, what's the reason we're praying? So that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. That's the essence of what we're doing here. We are learning how to perfectly love God. Every Sunday when we show up and offer our hearts on the altar, we get ourselves back better so that we are better able to love God and offer ourselves again. And the next Sunday, ideally, we're better people. And then we offer ourselves up, get ourselves back so that it's easier to the next time offer ourselves up and get ourselves back. And this is, this is what St. Paul says when we're transformed from glory unto glory. This goes on and on. This process is what in the East they call theosis. Sometimes in the West it's been called divinization. Being transformed more and more and more and more into the likeness of God. 
We are made in his image. That's what we're for. But are we yet in his full likeness? Well, that's why we keep showing up. So I hope all of that's made sense. Last week, we talked about the importance of just showing up. This week, I wanted to emphasize, especially since Father Mike will be here next week and we celebrate the Mass, I wanted to emphasize what we're doing here. Now that we're here, what are we doing? Well, we need to actively participate. And the most important place that we actively participate is in the offering of the Mass itself. Just because we're not standing in the altar, offering the bread and the wine ourselves, doesn't mean that we're not offering something. This sacrifice is ours as well. Keep that in mind next week when we offer my sacrifice and yours to God in the Holy Liturgy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.